0: It's the 8th of December, 2015, and this is episode 271. This show is intended for informational and educational purposes only. Cryptocurrency is new, exciting, and empowering, but we're not experts, just obsessed companions walking the road towards a more peer-to-peer future. Hi and welcome to Let's Talk Bitcoin, a twice weekly show about the ideas, people and projects building the new digital economy and the future of money. My name is Adam B. Levine and today we're at the Future of Digital Currency Conference which took place in San Francisco last month. This time we're sitting in on a discussion I led about projects, ideas and uses of Bitcoin that go beyond simply moving the token. After the break we'll listen to a brief audience Q&A. Enjoy the show!
1: Our next panel is Blockchain as a Platform with moderator Adam Levine, who's the host of Let's Talk Bitcoin and CEO of Tokenly. Welcoming back James D'Angelo and Elizabeth Stark and introducing Charlie Hine, CPO of Shift and Patrick Straitman, core tech engineer of Blockstream.
2: Thank you.
0: Check. Everybody hear me? Okay, great. Hi there, my name is Adam B. Levine. I'm the founder of uh, the Let's Talk Bitcoin show and also of a company called Tokenly. So, uh, It's kind of appropriate actually that we're going to be talking about Bitcoin or blockchain as a platform, because that is what I've been pretty much obsessed with over the last 18 months, was the idea that the currency application is pretty much the most boring thing you can do with it, and that everything else is way more interesting than that. So we have a very distinguished panel up here ready to comment on this. Basically I'd like you each to introduce yourself, but I'd also like you to quickly define what our topic actually means to you, because blockchain as a platform actually can mean a lot of different things. Who are you, and what does blockchain as a platform mean?
1: Hi, I'm James C. Angel. I already introduced myself, but blockchain as a technology, to me, would probably just fit under the easy definition of anything that's not a currency application. So smart contracts, identity, uh, clearinghouse, everything that you've been hearing about that's not currency.
3: I'm Patrick Straitman. I'm a core technology engineer with Blockstream. And yeah, blockchain means to me just any database that uses hashes to link together all the records so you can maintain consistency and provability.
4: Hi, I'm Charlie Hine. Uh, I helped start a company called chain.com. After a year and a half, I'm now at a startup called Shift Payments. We marry old world payment rails with new store of value. Um, blockchain as a platform. To me that means on the currency side, and as an engineer, um, having banks that have APIs. That was something we never had before, very exciting for me personally. On the blockchain specific side is a payment network. Um, it's the ability for us as humans to transfer property very cheaply and very securely, um, which is very new.
2: Hi everyone. Back here. Elizabeth Stark. Um, So I'm a co-founder at Lightning, a fellow over at Coin Center, and I'm an advisor to Blockstream. Um, As for the question of blockchain as platform, I actually disagree because I see currency uses also as an application. Um, For example, Lightning is a layer on top of uh, the Bitcoin blockchain or other blockchains. And I think as we talked about when we first met, it can be a caching layer on top of Bitcoin. Um, So I can see that there are currency based use cases or also other applications. Um, I actually was having a conversation with a friend last night about what is a blockchain and I felt strongly that the need to be able to build on top of that system is a requirement and also I believe that it should be public and I think we need another word for the internet equivalent of blockchain which is currently called a private blockchain but we can get into that later.
0: Well, actually, we're going to get into it now. All righty For the first first few years of the cryptocurrency experiment, we only had public blockchains that were modeled after Bitcoin pretty much without exception. Recently, that has changed, and there are now many companies offering proprietary solutions in private ledgers. What can private blockchains do that public ones can't? What situations are public ones more useful in, and what are the downsides of each?
4: Maybe we should just talk a little bit about what maybe a private blockchain is. Sure. Um, To me, there was probably someone who was very smart at a really smart company 10 or 20 years ago, who said, hey guys, I can use cryptography to make our database and the data more secure, and everyone was kind of like, oh, there's not really the business need yet. Probably a lot of the excitement around Bitcoin and blockchain has now allowed that guy's idea to actually take hold. As far as what value chains it sits in, I think we're trying to figure that out. There's a lot of R&D right now, but um, yes. A cryptographically secure database where when I append new data, uh, it uses math to tell that it has, nothing's been changed. Um, that's what a private blockchain is to me. Thoughts? Anybody else?
1: Uh, well, I spoke a bit about how decentralization secures your network. So private blockchains do run into the very obvious problem of you've now centralized dramatically your control of that database. So you run into a lot of issues with that. Clearly, if you're merge mining or doing something where you're shooting a hash up to Bitcoin blockchain, you've protected yourself in some regard. So there are a lot of caveats with what exactly a private blockchain means. It it, it really is just an entirely different beast than Bitcoin and probably should rely still on Bitcoin.
2: So... With regard to private blockchain, um, I think one of the differentiators is you don't necessarily have access to the ledger and the record of transactions, right? And then you also don't have the ability to necessarily build on top of it. And I have quite a few friends that are building technology in this space and there are a lot of use cases where they argue having the ability for multiple entities to then verify this record of transactions is actually very useful and there are a lot of financial institutions whose technology is stuck in the 70s, so this is a massive upgrade from what they've had before. Um, So there are use cases that are, you know, there. Now the question is, you know, is this the same thing or is it something that has evolved to be something different? Um, if anybody has ideas for names as to what it might be called other than a pl- private blockchain, I'm, please <laughs> let me know because I've been brainstorming around this. Um, so, yes, there are use cases. There are some similarities, but the fundamental difference of not being a publicly accessible ledger, not having this ability to build on top of it, not being an open protocol, I would argue, differentiates it. Uh,
3: so there's actually two interesting things here. There's really there's the concept of a private blockchain and then there's a private blockchain where you are publishing publicly the data, but only a few people can add new transactions. I think that's actually the more interesting thing to look at here, is the distinction between can you see the data publicly, is there an audit log, can everybody validate it, and then who has access to the actual network to create new transactions.
0: So this sounds like we're getting into permissioned ledgers versus permissionless
3: ledgers. So let's talk about that then. Is that the same thing as a public and a private blockchain? So, all blockchains are permissioned ledgers. You have to have the token to use the blockchain. Good point. The entire... Okay, so then let me rephrase it. Right access, how about that? Right access can be limited. Sure, so now you end up with a system... Okay, I have a good example of this. So, Liquid is the application for sidechains that Blockstream has recently announced and Access to the system is controlled simply by the people who are functionaries have access and they can regulate who has control. Any one of them can give you access. This is kind of the same idea, this is a pseudo permissioned blockchain thing, except because any of them can give you access, it's much more public than it would otherwise be, and it's much more public than what they're doing now.
0: So it's better than the status quo, but let's bring it back to the kind of idea of public And I would say permissionless innovation blockchains, how about that? Ones where uh, you don't need to necessarily get a company's approval, the blockchain is there
3: and so you can use it if you want to comply with the rules of the network. Sure, that's definitely a good thing. Um, Currently today, there is really only one. There is only Bitcoin. That is the only actually decentralized blockchain that exists today that you can actually go and change things. Everything else has some sort of there is somebody who is the gatekeeper in some way.
0: So I've started hearing about applications that tie Bitcoin or tokens built on top of permissioned ledgers to things that are in the physical world. And the blockchain can do a lot of things for tracking. Can it do anything in the physical world when it comes to, like, if FedEx wanted to adopt a blockchain, could that actually help them or is it just gonna get in the way?
3: Maybe.
2: (laughs) One of the things about physical goods is you can't physically put the good on the blockchain, right? With digital assets, you can, but with physical assets, it's, it's still debt, if you will, or it's, you know, um, it's an IOU for a physical good, so there's still, of course, some degree of trust involved that you will get the physical good that's on the blockchain, uh, so that's something to consider.
0: The, um, the example that comes to mind right now is uh, a company that's doing a chain of, identi- or chain, of, uh, tran- chain of possession, whatever you want to call it for diamonds, and they have the ability to look at each individual diamond and get a unique fingerprint basically off of the physical item itself. So I mean, like, it seems like in that type of an application there's utility, but what you're saying is that if it's just a package, right, and there's no, nothing inherently unique about it, then it becomes very difficult because it's not really about the technology, it becomes about the, the, kind of the connection between the two.
4: It, it may be within the FedEx example, is there a big enough business problem to solve? And, and I mean, FedEx works pretty well for me personally, I don't know what the customer support tickets look like, but um, yeah.
0: So what situations are blockchains, public or private, not well suited for? Whether or not they've been tried or, or, or not? So, so many things. <laughs> <laughs> well, so give me some attributes then. What types of things, where, what, where are the mismatches?
3: So th- things where the actual ownership of the thing is based on whether you actually have it or not, that seems like a pretty obvious, you don't need a blockchain for this, you have it, it is yours type thing. Um, Things where the overhead of using a blockchain is just not worth it. So blockchain is very expensive data structure. You have to tell everybody about everything you're doing. This has lots of applications, but is not universally useful. There are things where you just don't actually care who owns it.
2: I'm not yet entirely convinced that a blockchain makes sense for marriage, although there has been kind of a a marriage on the blockchain, so that might be a use case that isn't quite there yet. Um, I think there's also a debate as to scalability. I mean, within the Bitcoin community, there's been a lot going on around scalability lately, and at least if people are going to use a public decentralized blockchain, well, the Bitcoin blockchain is the most secure blockchain, and to what extent can some degree of the application scale within Bitcoin, and we're seeing, new emerging technology that can help with that. Um, But there's a question, if you're going to, say, have a chat app that's decentralized that were to put every transaction that, you know, that's a message in the blockchain that would never work and that that couldn't happen anytime soon.
4: Yeah, I think blockchain's near-term, very good for things that are light and digital and property that people need to move between each other. So um, I look at the media space, things like ticketing, things like StubHub, um, things like uh, reward points, airline miles all very lightweight and digital, meaning near-term, we can actually put them into the Bitcoin blockchain.
1: Well, I think it's really important, You know, I think these ideas are great, but I also think it's really important to take ourselves out of our first world developed situation and look at where a, a contract or something put on a ledger really changes your ability to establish ownership. So, if you live in Uganda, where my wife is from, getting your passport can sometimes be a real dog, right? It can be, involve bribery, it can involve a number of things. If there's some way that you can establish your identity in a, in a way that might be outside of the government of Uganda, so you could get actually verification from places outside and then put that on the blockchain so that it's provable that you've received that permission at some point in time, well then you have that forever. That's something that can't be removed when a new regime comes in and tries to take your land away or even the rights to your child away from you. So yes, outside of, of, of the developed world, showing ownership at least by some verification, so there's trusted entities all over the place here, but who are you most afraid of when you're in Uganda? It's usually your government. Wouldn't you love to establish your identity with Helsinki? or even with Amazon.com, as opposed to Museveni or Idi Amin, right? These are these are big deals. Even in the United States in 1950s and 1960s, I would dare say 70s and 80s, land titles, especially for blacks, have been torn up by the local jurisdictions and rewritten by the police officer or whoever decided to take that from them. Wouldn't it be great if they had some other way of establishing that record that was outside of their... Jurisdiction, So I, I do think these are important concepts if we remove ourselves from the here and now of where we are.
0: So talking about that kind of difficulty of connecting the blockchain type of structure to the real world, doesn't that problem carry over in areas that have unstable governments? This is actually to you, James. Oh. <laughs> doesn't it carry over to areas that have uh, unstable governments? I mean, does the record... This is a question that came up with uh, the BitNation project, I remember. It does doing land title registry matter if the government is probably going to ignore it and, if they, and jail you, if, you know, if they disagree with you anyways?
1: Well, there's lots of international pressures to accept international documents, so there's a lot of sanctions that can be done. If you can establish your identity and your land ownership within a reasonable doubt... To international communities, yeah, of course Bolivia is going to turn around and be a little afraid of sanctions that might come down on them or Iraq or wherever else these things are being done Uganda and and Egypt and these countries raise billions of dollars from aid from foreign countries that put in these very specific very democratic stipulations and if they can establish some of this documentation in a way that reaches beyond Museveni um, who basically arrested his, his number one competitor in the last election, during the election, you, know, you understand that there's a governance issue and being able to reach across borders is, is, is very important.
2: So actually on a somewhat related note, um, so Lightning for those that may not know um, is technology that enables high volume scalable uh, payments using the Bitcoin blockchain and can use other blockchains too. And we had a conversation recently about offline payments and that could also be applicable elsewhere in the developing world. And we hadn't really thought about that yet and we said, yeah, there are ways in which we can do this such that you can have offline transactions and then when you return online, you could clear in the blockchain. So that could also be a way in which you can interact with, uh, you know, in places with bad connectivity.
1: I agree.
0: So let's reach, let's reach back to the VC panel, which talked about the idea of voting as an application that would be big in the future on the blockchain. This is one of those ones that I actually tend to caution people away from because it seems like not only is it an incompatible system with our political system, but beyond that, it, it, do you actually want a public record of your vote to be auditable in that fashion and aren't there downsides to that? Isn't that why you like, can't sell your
4: vote to somebody else? In order to sell your vote to someone else, they'd have to prove that you did it. I think we could probably come up with an implementation that uh, you signed your vote with a private key that you, can't, you don't actually pass to someone else to sell. Does that make sense? Sure,
0: so you it's can't... Deep. I mean, like that, that seems to be the core problem, is that if you can prove that you voted for someone, then someone can reliably pay you. And James, I think that I learned about some of this from you, actually, is that if you can't prove that you've actually voted for someone, then, you can just, then the, the people can just scam the person trying to buy votes and vote for whoever they want and then tell them.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's been 2,000 years of history. Open voting leads to corruption. And in 1970, we opened up the vote of Congress, and sure enough, we've opened up the vote to lobbyists who now go in and pressure individual congressmen. Um, this is what I researched for this year, and I'm now working on a book on it. So obviously it feels like a setup question for me, but (laughs) transparency of any form in voting leads to vote buying. Yeah, that's the small one. The other one is the amount of people who get killed and beat up after they vote. The intimidation is actually much bigger, even for congressmen who are subjected to negative ad campaigns by the NRA and beat downs from, from all the other places. What he was addressing, which I think is a really important point, If you go inside the voting booth and you can use some sort of cryptography to establish that you voted inside the voting booth, great. But if you walk out with that private key and you can use that private key to establish how you vote, well, that also means you can establish something to sell, but it also means you as an abused spouse, for example, go home and the husband or whoever's abusing you can go show me how you voted, right? And the intimidation becomes really problematic. And so have sympathy on our dear Congressman because it's been a bad 50 years for them.
2: <laughs> so, and the digital identity issue is one that is deeply um, you know, intertwined with this. And I know one name is gonna speak here about that, but that's a major unsolved problem. So even if we could get around the other issues, um, I know Matt is not here today, but he has told me many times that he thinks blockchains are not suited uh, for voting and that there are other crypto systems that work way better. And this is a well studied issue in cryptography and that we shouldn't keep thinking that blockchains can work for voting. So.
3: That's exactly what I was going to say.
1: Oh, it <laughs> David voting system. Very, very good.
0: Okay, let's change gears for a second. Um, does latency matter when it comes to applications besides actual currency? And when I say latency, I'm talking about the kind of combi- combination of block time, you know, time where you can rely on a transaction app- actually happening. Whether you're talking about lightning or you're talking about something else entirely, does it matter?
2: So well, Lightning does deal initially with currency, there may be some other ways in which it could be built out to not do so. Um, but one of the biggest issues that people you know, wanted, and Taj, Tadri are you here? Um, somewhere in the audience, other in the back. Uh, people have come to Lightning and said, actually, we want the fast transaction times. They thought, oh, it, it, you know, it can be scalable, and there are all sorts of other good aspects, but really the instantaneous nature was what was desirable for a lot of people, and what will be, hopefully.
3: Yeah, in general, faster is always better. Faster Um, is better. In Bitcoin, faster can mean no consensus, because you actually can't go faster. But Lightning does mostly fix this. Um, For a lot of other applications, faster is strictly better, and people don't actually care about the consensus so much, as long as it's faster. Just results. Yes. Yeah.
1: Okay. Just one thing to add: If Andreas Antonopoulos was mining one tenth of the blocks, he could mine them fast. Yes.
0: I was going to ask about that. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned that in your talk. You mentioned the idea that uh, you know if if fast is just the goal, then we can already do that. It's called just sign them. Don't bother with proof of work because that largely is what causes a lot of these issues. So, I mean, projects like BitShares are already out there. Basically, have done they they do this. They call it delegated proof of stake where you have representatives effectively elected by the people who, it's a very political system actually, uh, elected by the people who actually have the token of the network, and then those people don't run fancy mining hardware, they just run a computer and have some normal software, and and every time the block comes up that they're supposed to sign, and I think it's a random order, um, then they sign it, and if they don't, then it's really visible that they didn't sign it. So I mean, like, does proof of work matter? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Why does proof of work matter?
3: So if you have a system that has people signing the blocks and side chains work this way right now because it's easy to do, you have to explicitly trust those people not to cheat. Not only do you have to trust them not to cheat now, but you have to trust them not to cheat ever in the future. And that's the main problem. So this is the thing that breaks all of the proof of stake systems, is you have to trust that at no point will anybody ever have more than half of the coins ever—not now, not yesterday, but in the future too—and that's the main problem. You can't actually fix this problem.
1: Yeah, I, I delegated proof of stake. I think it's a wonderful idea. I I do look at the numbers of people. They, he claims a hundred will work. Well, I could find all hundred of them, and sit in their house probably for. 30 minutes and totally wrecked the system um, with a gun to their heads. So is uh, a really low number. Eliminating proof of work entirely, I think is absolutely foolish. It's a really genius and beautiful concept. But don't ever think that it is gonna work entirely either. There needs to be some shades of both of them. Proof of work is the most corruptible BS concept ever if you talk about the term decentralization, because we just don't know if it is or not.
2: Proof of work or proof of stake? You said proof of work. proof proof of 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 work. work. Okay,
0: interesting. Okay, so then given that, given that speed is all that matters as far as users are concerned, and we don't want to move to a system where only Andreas Antonopoulos signs every single block that passes through the Bitcoin network. (laughs) One-tenth. One-tenth, sure. (laughs) So what's the, I mean like, is 10 minutes just the right amount? I mean, like, is 10 minutes plus lightning, you know, to give us the instant thing? Did Satoshi happen to hit on that right number the first time?
3: It's maybe not perfect, but it's very, very close. Um, So in the past with, even in the past when there weren't very large blocks, they were very large relative to the network's capacity. Ten minutes actually wasn't a long enough period about two years ago when blocks started to get big and the software was still very slow. So it took about eight minutes for half of the network to figure out about a block. (laughs) (laughs) Most of the miners were faster than this because they had very expensive servers but for the rest of the network it took a very long time. There is an inherent trade-off between the time between blocks and maintaining consensus. gap becomes too big, then nobody uses the network because it's too slow. But if the gap is too small, you can't actually maintain consensus and you will spontaneously fork continents. Like, China will be on its own blockchain and the U.S. will be on its own blockchain and this doesn't work very quickly. That would be not good.
0: So, talking about scaling, projects like the Lightning Network essentially create a new transactional layer on top of the existing blockchain-based transactional layer. Um, There are good parts about this and bad parts about this, and I think that a lot of the stuff you're attempting to do, Elizabeth, with Lightning is to ameliorate those kind of scary centralization risks and turn it into something that can fulfill the promise without turning into the evil empire. So can you talk about the, the, the kind of good parts and the bad parts and the problems you've run into?
2: Sure. So right now, it's it's still fairly early on. We're working on our initial uh, implementation. We'll have a testnet out, and then we're working on one for mainnet as well, uh, the main Bitcoin uh, blockchain. Um, so with Bitcoin in particular, um, there are all sorts of potential use cases that people you know think of, and they think, oh, okay, well this can be really like low fee or free. They think that transactions will be free, they think that you can have a really high volume of them and they think that they'll be instantaneous. And unfortunately, as it turns out, um, none of these is true. So what Lightning can provide is it can have instant transactions um, in potentially milliseconds if everything is working right. It can have high volume transactions right now. Uh, For those that don't know, Bitcoin can only handle about four to five transactions per second. There's a big debate in the community as to whether the block size should be increased. We're not gonna get into that here on this panel. and then the fees are still about three cents. Actually, now they're probably higher because, is it now six cents? But yeah, because the price about doubled. Um, so the fees are relatively high if you want to send, say, you know, a couple cents or a micropayment. Um, so the advantages are that we can kind of fulfill this promise with Lightning Network um, with what we thought Bitcoin would be able to do, and now it can finally do it. Um, As for the downsides, well obviously I think this is great, so I see a lot of upsides. Um, But Lightning itself doesn't have a blockchain per se. Uh, There are pros and cons to this, it can provide greater financial privacy for some individuals, but you use the Bitcoin blockchain to then clear out. So some might see that as a downside because you don't have a record of all the internal transactions on the layer on top of Bitcoin, but every time you clear to the Bitcoin blockchain, you can see all the transactions that happen there.
0: One of the advantages of public blockchains is from a liability perspective, Bitcoin really isn't anybody's fault. Um, A friend of mine likes to say that the degree to which Gavin Andreessen can cause the Bitcoin network to change is the degree to which he can be held responsible for that change. Private blockchains don't seem to have this I'm not driving the boat feature about them. Do you agree with my friend's assessment? And uh, do private blockchains do anything to disintermediate risk or is that not their purpose?
3: That depends on how they're implemented exactly. It's very easy to build a private blockchain permission thingy that you completely control. Mostly this is not a good idea. Um, Some people are fine with this. They already have all the liability. They don't care about still having all the liability. This makes no difference to them. Having the blockchain system is strictly better for them because now they know what their liability is and before they didn't. Uh, you can also build systems that have multi-signers and maybe they have liability. I don't think they really do, but I'm not a lawyer. Don't quote me on that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Anybody else? Okay. What kind of blockchain as a platform applications are you anticipating that haven't yet emerged? So, like. You know, that five-year question again, in five years, what are the Bitcoin 3.0 things or Blockchain 3.0 things that we'll be hearing about at conferences like this?
4: While unsexy, um, I think on the currency side, we need some more basic applications. We still don't have um, the ability to spend Bitcoin at a gas station as a currency. Um, we still don't use it in games as much as we could. On the media side, I think in the music space, in the movie space with content, um, there's lots we could do So uh, that add real value.
2: Uh, So on that note, um, I'm really excited about the ability to have pay as you browse, say, micropayments Mm. that are automated and programmatic or uh, machines paying machines or servers settling up with other servers. I also think smart contracts, I don't know if that's 2.0 or 3.0 or what, but there are a lot of really interesting use cases there, um, particularly for the case where it wouldn't make sense to have a real contract because it would be far too expensive. But um, a smart contract could provide, say, a micro level of, of transaction. You could see all sorts of escrow arrangements, you could see marketplaces emerging with those, we're already seeing them being developed. But I'm particularly excited about the smart contract angle.
1: I'm still in an, as much as I hate transparency and voting, I'm an enormous transparency freak. I do think that most people even in the Bitcoin space with their public sites and all that really love to tell everybody where they are all the time. I think Bitcoin will be able to provide, especially for people in the third world who are subject to refugee status, but even in the United States where, where people are, are struggling with their government and illegal arrests and all that, we'll be able to build sort of proof of alibi, a proof of location. All right, we, we talk about identity, identity is one thing, but the ability to actually show where you are in specific locations over your, your life might be very helpful for a number of individuals who are traditionally stigmatized by society or live in, in, in places of unrest. And I have a very easy system to set up and no one is talking about it at this point, but I, I think in, in a number of years we'll see some real advantages there.
0: Today's episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin is brought to you by the newly launched LTB Network Marketplace. When you visit letstalkbitcoin.com slash marketplace, make sure to check out the very first batch of LTB gear. If you're a listener based in the U.S., shipping is included in your price of $19 for a t-shirt or $35 for a hoodie. Order today to support the Let's Talk Bitcoin show and save. The magic word for today's episode is use. That's Use. Use. You've got until the 15th of December to visit LetstalkBitcoin.com or the Let's Talk Bitcoin iOS app to enter it for your share of the listener rewards. And now let's rejoin the panel for some questions from the audience. We have a question in the back. Hi, thank you. I'm interested in, uh, do do the panelists see any particularly um, compelling or technically strong blockchain technologies
3: out there? Uh, other than Bitcoin, right now. Good question. <laughs>
1: Go
3: for it. Um, well, side chains is the obvious answer here. So, you you really need something that has that can leverage the properties that Bitcoin provides of decentralization, and really the only way to do that right now is through smart contracting, which is essentially what Lightning ends up looking like. And sidechains where you are actually trusting somebody else, but you can always flee back to Bitcoin if they do something bad. That's really where I see the innovation moving forward in the space right now.
4: It's a sidechains, Ethereum are still exciting to me. Um, Non-traditional blockchain technologies such as IPFS, married with those, are probably very exciting to me in the future. Next question,
5: over there. Yeah, um, I just have two quick questions. First was, um, you mentioned that proof of stake was perhaps not as secure or open more to corruption than proof of work, and I think they're both as prone to that as as each other because if you look at the LIBOR scandal, that had nothing to do with technology. It was just a bunch of guys getting together in a chat room or at the bar and fixing a number. It doesn't matter what the transaction was when it was encoded in whatever database, right? And the second one is uh, about sidechains in particular if companies can build or improve their business processes with private blockchains, uh, does that take away the requirement for sidechains or the need to somehow peg onto the main public blockchain? Why would they need to? And I know one common argument is, well, you know, the public Bitcoin blockchain is the most secure, backed by the most mining power, et cetera, et cetera. But if you're a private blockchain and it's in a closed group a closed consortium and it's an industry which is very comfortable taking care of its own networks, you know, securing things, why do they need to peg onto the public chain? I mean, Maybe there's some use cases you could sort of describe.
3: So I'll start with the proof-of-stake thing. Um, sort of. So proof-of-stake is fundamentally broken. There are a v- couple of ways that people try and make it less broken. One of them is to require that You communicate with a central party who promises to tell you about everything that's happened. And if you trust them to tell you about everything that's happened, it mostly works okay. Because you can see if there are conflicting blockchains, if there's forks, and you can hit the big panic button and stop using it. Um, But this really is just a centrally trusted system. They can trivially lie to you and it doesn't work anymore. Now somebody can go and rewrite all of history. There's actually been a problem in the past where people have gone and bought people's old private keys for proof of stake systems so that they can go and buy 50% of the stake from six months ago and rewrite the whole chain from that point forward. Which is why they all have these checkpointing systems except the checkpointing systems are all central trusted systems. So they might as well just be central trusted systems which would be much more efficient. Uh, as for the sidechains question about why would you even care about the two-way peg mechanism if you have a private blockchain, the answer is simply interoperability. The ability to move assets between these chains, whether they're public or private or something in the middle, permissioned or not, or whatever. <coughs> that ability is incredibly valuable because you add liquidity to a system where right now there really isn't very much liquidity between these systems. Wire transfers take days, all this stuff is very slow. So adding a two-way peg mechanism significantly increases liquidity and interoperability.
2: Uh, just quickly on that, one of the use cases for Lightning that we haven't really talked as much about publicly and isn't in the paper, but we're interested in as well, is the ability to have cross chain atomic swaps that are trustless. So you could go from a side chain to a side chain or a private chain to a side chain and do so trustlessly and nearly instantaneously. So that's an interesting application as well.
0: When you talk about uh, going between chains, are you talking about a public blockchain and then a side chain from that, or are you talking about actually connecting two separate blockchains together as a bridging layer?
2: Uh, either.
0: Either. Oh, interesting. Okay. Thank you, panelists. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin. Content for today's show comes courtesy of the Future of Digital Currency Conference, Patrick, Elizabeth, James, Adam, and Charlie. This episode was lightly edited by Adam B. Levine and featured music by Jared Rubens and Adam B. Levine. Any questions or comments? Email adam at letstalkbitcoin.com. Have a good one.